and don't lose hope. All right, I'm working on something. I'm working on something, and I want you guys to help me with it because it's important. All right, so can you guys help me with this? It's gonna, I'm just going to read you a little bit of something, and then you guys sort of fill in some of the verbiage and stuff, if that's all right. Okay, so it starts like, Dear Santa. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to start, you know. Uh, I've been really good, really good. Well, I, tried anyway. I tried, yeah, well, I tried anyway. I like that. See, I've been wondering, I mean, like, I have not really been getting a lot of good stuff lately. You know, for a lot of Christmases, a number in a row. And I think that maybe the reason for that is I'm not communicating with the guy, you know, in the NP, you know, North Pole. And maybe, you know, it wouldn't hurt, you know, because I always remember that Santa was the kind of guy that he was sort of hit or miss on his gifts, but a more hit than miss, where mom, you know, would like, I would be wanting like a transformer that was like Megatron or Skyscraper or something like that, and we'd get the VW Microbus, you know that one? The one with a lot of like little flowers on it and stuff. But Santa, he was great. And I wondered if I wrote to Santa, I wonder what the results would be. Because I've not written him a long, long time. Gosh, it's at least been 10 years. <laughs> no, it's been longer than that even. And I thought, gosh, you know, I wonder when I stopped writing to Santa, did I miss something? Did a little bit of that magic go with it? Did I maybe even to a degree stop believing? You know, I wonder when we lose that time, once that moment or whatever. You know, I'm going to tell you a story. I, this is a story I shared on Facebook. So stop me if you've heard this one before. All right. You probably heard it. If you have. Okay. But I know a number of you haven't. So I'm going to just share this story, if that's all right. And I'm going to talk about, I can tell you, I can't remember. Well, I, I know some really great gifts I got for Christmas. Right? I remember when I was nine years old and I got a Schwinn bike. That was orange. I bet you didn't know they made orange wind bikes. And I remember going down that big hill for the very first time. Do you ever remember doing that? When you go down a hill for the very first time and you're like, whoa! And it just feels like you could be taken forever. You were going so fast. You were so free. You were flying. I remember that gift. I remember when I was 13 and getting a Nintendo. Gosh, when those first came out. And you know how long my brother John and I played that Nintendo? I mean, oh, I, could still, I, I still have controller marks in my hands. It's incredible. Duck Hunt and uh, was it Barnstormer? Anybody play those games? I can't really remember the very best Christmas gift I ever got, but I can totally remember the worst. I can completely remember the worst. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not very comfortable to talk about. It was socks and underwear. Socks and underwear. Anybody ever got socks and underwear for Christmas? Oh, my Lord, there's people raising their hand. That's crazy. Yeah, socks and underwear. Now, notice I did not say coals and switch. Right? I didn't say coals and switches or anything like that, or a lump of coal, because I had been a very good kid, the best, the best kid ever. I knew I had to be a good kid. 
because mom had told me we weren't getting a lot for Christmas, right? And so I knew Santa was my last resort. And I had been such a good kid because, well, mom had said it was going to be a really light Christmas because she had lost her job a few months before. She worked for that big crystal hamburger company. She wrote their newsletter and did some of their publications and stuff. And she had worked there a couple of different years, but they didn't need her anymore. So they let her go, and I didn't really understand it. I was only like eight years old or something like that. I can't remember how, but I didn't understand it. All I knew is that my lunch went from 80 cents to 40 cents to nothing, right, in the course of a few months. And at first, that was sort of cool. But then there was another part of me, even at eight years old, that knew something was wrong. There was a feeling behind it. And this sort of grimness sort of, sort of just sort of hung around our house. And then Christmas came. And I just raced. You know how you do on Christmas? You race in there and you try to get stuff in. I remember opening the presents and seeing socks and underwear. And I was like, what? I mean, a light Christmas didn't mean no Christmas, right? I expected something like a baseball glove or something, maybe a, something, a board game. But socks and underwear. And I was so mad at my mom. I was even mad at Santa because the stockings that we had, which normally would be full of Hot Wheels and little trinkets and toys and marbles and such, full of fruit and nuts and maybe another pair of socks right, hidden at the bottom. And I, I knew it right then. I knew that was the worst Christmas I'd ever have. I knew it, it was a gray day. It was miserable. And I, I hate to say it, I may have cried myself to sleep. I think I teared up. But you know the crazy thing about it is, though, a, a couple days later, a couple days later, literally two or three days later, my mom came home from in the afternoon. It was sort of getting toward dusk. She came home, and she had a smile on her face. And she went up to my sister, who was three years older than me, and she whispered in her ear, and my sister just couldn't contain it. She just like, Mama got a job! Mama got a job! Mama got... And, she, and we were just all excited. We are sort of bouncing up and down because Mama had gotten a job. She was doing the exact same thing she was doing before, but this time for Blue Cross Blue Shield. And I remember we were so happy. We just were so happy. And Mom always loved to gather around the Christmas tree and sing Christmas carols. And we gathered around that tree, and we just started singing Christmas carols as it sort of, as dusk went into night. And the lights were never so beautiful than that day. I think it was like December 28th or something. And it made me realize that you, it, Christmas doesn't have to be on Christmas. It doesn't have to be on Christmas. It, it, the best Christmas gift I ever got was not on Christmas. And it wasn't even for me but it was for my family and for the people I love. What's your best Christmas present? What was the best Christmas present you ever got? Can you remember it? What was the worst? 
Was it the socks and underwear? What was it that first Christmas? What was it like for them? Were they worried about the census and the fact that they had to be in the, a place with sheeps and camels and stuff? Herod? You know, I want to talk about Herod. Or was there something else? You know, when we get the image of Christmas, we get the image, we get two different images, one in Luke and one in Matthew. And the first one with Luke, that we start off with shepherds. And shepherds are to remind us that Jesus was poor. You know, Jesus was hanging out with shepherds and fishermen, carpenters. In fact, when they studied Jesus in his neighborhood in Nazareth, you know, uh, in the 20th century, they found these people to be some of the poorest they have ever studied. But in Matthew, we get a different little look. It's something different there because that's where we get the three magi. Now, notice I did not say wise men or kings because that's not in the scripture whatsoever. But magi, which is basically a word for a Persian priest. Um, I, it could be a million other things. We're not in Bible study, so it won't, I won't do it. I won't inflict that on you right now. But we'll just go with Persian priest. And these priests, these magi, were well known for a couple different things. We get the word magician and magic from them. That's the Greek understanding. But originally in the East, they were well known for astrology and studying the stars. Now, they did this not because they just were like Carl Sagan and they needed to know what was out there and the, you know, billions and billions. They were doing this to figure out what was going to happen in the future, trying to read the stars. And so the idea that they were following a star sort of, sort of makes sense. Now, we don't know exactly who they were. They are not named in the scriptures, but by the 7th century, we got names, right? And they're bringing gifts, and these gifts aren't just the regular gifts that you'd normally give to a little, you know, a newborn. I mean, what do you give a newborn anyway? You know, I mean, little onesies or something? I don't know. I don't know. But these are gifts you give to, to a king. And so, here, I'll tell you their names right now. So the first one is a guy named Malachar. And he is bringing gold. And gold is fit for a king. Second one is Caspar, who brings frankincense. And frankincense is specifically, the symbol is for the divinity. Specifically something a priest would be involved with. And the last, Balthazar, brings myrrh for medicine. And specifically at this time, it was the thing you would put in a burial. And so that these symbols are part of the gifts they're bringing. And also sort of foretelling of what this child will go through. Now, the thing is, if you, if you go on this thing called the internet, right, you will find that they've got all sorts of theories on this, right? And here's something I learned, is that the only time that you have gold, frankincense, and myrrh all together in the Bible, besides this time, is of the temple. So if you look at the temple, the gold, the Holy of Holies is surrounded by gold. The cherubim and the ark are made of gold. Frankincense is on the altar outside the building, and that's where they're burning the grain offering or the gift offering. And myrrh is the first ingredient, the holy room right before the Holy of Holies. They put myrrh as the first ingredient of the incense they're burning 
to God. And so the idea here, according to what they're thinking, is that these wise men, so to speak, these magi are presenting gifts to the new temple. And that the new temple is Jesus. And it's sort of a new understanding of what his life is to be about. And it's sort of understanding, if he is the new temple, no wonder he gets mad at him later in life with the money changers and all that sort of stuff. He wants his temple to be a house of prayer. Gosh, if you were going to give Jesus a gift, what would you give him? I mean, if Jesus were here right now, what would you give him? I'm thinking iWatch. I don't know if he'd need that. Do you think he'd really like a really nice Bible? Or does he? I mean, what do you give the guy that has everything, right? Miller. Miller? Well, maybe he'd like a Miller. I don't know. Possible. Good. <laughs> it could happen. What would you give him? I think somebody may be onto something there. You know, Paul gives us some advice, the one that I just read here. That all the gifts that we are given in this life, the possible gifts that we are off, the one that God treasures the most, the one that means the most, is love. You know, I, I've known some folks in my life that have had Porsches in their driveways, but didn't have love. They lived in a family without love. They had a Land Rover and a Porsche, brand new, but they were one of the miserable, most miserable people I've ever met because she didn't have love. She missed the thing that gave her meaning. Well, what does it mean by love? What is a gift of love? What does that even mean anyway? Well, back in the day when I was a chaplain, yo, many years ago, I would always volunteer to work on Christmas or Christmas Eve or those times because, you know, those, you know, most of the folks that really wanted that day off, you know, maybe they had kids or something like that. And so I could work that day and I would take off Thanksgiving or New Year's or something like that. So I remember I was working at the hospital. I was a resident. And on Christmas Eve, no one's around. You're the only chaplain for hundreds and hundreds of people. But it's usually pretty quiet. You would think that they would be wanting a chaplain a lot, but really there's not a lot to do. And I remember thinking, hopefully I was going to have a really easy night. Slow. But around 11 o'clock or so, I got beep, 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 beep. The, the, the pagers are so loud. You're not going to miss them. I don't care how tired you are. You're gonna... That pager went off. And I looked down, and it said, Nick, you, um, baby needs to be baptized. Now, I worked the Nick New. That was one of my units. They gave me this unit. They tried to give you the hardest unit for you because they knew I was a Quaker and I had a problem with baptism. And you're going to be asked to baptize some babies in the NICU. But I sort of knew what it meant, which is what we had, a baby that was really struggling. Because if they're calling me a Quaker minister to baptize this baby... This is really a moment of the last resort. And so I went up there, and I, I was wondering which one of my folks it was probably at. And I remember, like I said, it was around, it was late, late. 
And I went right to the room that they have what they do at this time. It's the room we sort of move people into at the final moment, the babies. And I remember I, I went around the corner there, and I opened the door, and I saw that it was a room full of people. And I couldn't even see the people in the middle of the room there, and that some guy came up to me and says, please be very gentle with them. And you could see the energy in his eyes. And I got to the middle of the room there, and I saw that it was Megan and Jackie and their little son, Josh. And Josh had been at the hospital for at least four or five months, and I'd seen some ups and downs with him and some miracles and some tough things, but lately it had been more tough things. And I remember this is the first time I had seen Josh without all his wires and tubes and everything, and he looked so beautiful. He had something wrong with his heart. I don't remember what it was, but... And I remember they were gathered there, and Megan was looking at me, and she was, she was crying, and they, they, she had just had him in her arms. And I had my little vial with me. We had a little bitty, we have some distilled water that we would have these little vials in for this very thing. And I, I talked to them briefly, and they looked at me, and they just shared their love and their grief in a way. And we, we did a little bit of, we just poured a little, I poured a little bit right on his head. And I said a prayer, and I could feel the whole room was praying with me. And it wasn't a formulaic prayer. It wasn't something I wrote down. It was something from the heart that talked about the grief of a family, that talked about Josh, that asked God to just welcome him home and to allow him to wait for them and be with them forever. And it was crazy. At the end of the prayer, it just, there was a, such a silence it was so silent in that room. Maybe a few tears. And at that moment, I just want to sort of step back and just sort of let them be. And you could just see it was just so silent and beautiful in that room with Jackie and Megan right there surrounding their, their beautiful son. And as I backed up further, I, I looked around and I said, gosh, Look at what I see. It's so beautiful. It's almost like a nativity. And in the corner, I could see the wise men, the family around. It was a full, full room. And then there was somebody who put her, his hand on Jackie's shoulder, and I could tell, man, there's a shepherd. And I don't think I have ever seen a nativity scene in my life that was so real and so perfect, and it reminded me so much of that Christmas Eve that I heard about long time ago. Now, I couldn't offer them anything right then at that moment, just a little vial of water, a prayer. The only gift I could give them was love. Just a little bit of love, a little bit of light. And know that the greatest gift you will ever give in your life is not some amazing toy you find at Walmart or Target or whatever, but the gift of love to someone you dearly care about.
That gift of love will be more than anything, and it's the one, Yeshua or Jesus, it's the one that, that he wants. It's the perfect gift for him. Perfect gift is love. Merry Christmas.